FOMO. Um, what gets me out of bed is that I literally have the chance to improve the way of life for 8.3 million New Yorkers. Like, who wouldn't be pumped about that? Like, I could help save lives and steer the greatest city in the world in a better direction. Uh, you know, if you don't get out of bed for that, then you need to check your pulse. That's Andrew Yang, candidate for mayor of New York City. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. With the world spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term, and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to a very special episode of FOMO Sapiens. I have one of my favorite guests back on the show, Andrew Yang. And if you remember way back in April, April 3rd of 2019, Andrew came on the show. That feels like a gazillion years ago. And he was just gearing up to run for president. And I remember just I had never met the guy before and having a great conversation with him and then watching him go from this person who just came and recorded in studio with me to this national figure with the Yang gang and standing on the debate stage and just basically really getting a part of the conversation focused on him. He then went on to CNN and all these other things. And he's been an incredible example of somebody who brings a political entrepreneurship focus into running a campaign and is able to really raise his profile in the process. And now Andrew is running for mayor. And so I wanted to have him back on the show. And I got lucky because I was asked to moderate a conversation with Andrew, sort of a fireside chat for him to talk about his candidacy in front of a group of people. And I was happy to do it. And as we were talking in the green room before, I guess, I don't know what you call it on Zoom, but it's a green Zoom room before Andrew said, hey, are you going to record this and do another podcast like we did last time for FOMO Sapiens? And I said, you know what? I hadn't thought about it. And he said, why don't you do it? Hit the record button. And so we did. And so we recorded on there. And so you're going to see that is a conversation about his candidacy that I'm sort of moderating with him. And we're talking about a bunch of different things. It's wide ranging, but I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation today. And the reason why I think you'll enjoy it is because we're going to talk about why Andrew's running for mayor of New York. We're also going to talk about what he plans to do. And I think even if you don't live in New York City, this race is important because New York City, of course, was very affected by COVID and the pandemic and the economic sort of crash that has come from that. And so whatever we do here in New York City may give great ideas or I guess show people what not to do in other parts of the world. And so the other thing, of course, is that many of you come to New York City. And so, you know, it's a city that you care about. And so we want to have a great mayor to rebuild now. Even if you don't like Andrew as mayor, I do think his ideas are very interesting. And so I was excited to hear what he had to say, and I hope you will be too. Now, Andrew is an entrepreneur, author, philanthropist, nonprofit leader, and former 2020 presidential candidate, initially dubbed as a quote-unquote longer-than-long shot by the New York Times. He became a top-tier contender for the presidency, and he raised nearly $40 million in grassroots funding. That's a I, that's a lot of money. Andrew's nationwide support, known as the Yang Gang, propelled him to seven Democratic primary debates, outlasting six senators, four governors, three members of Congress, and two mayors. Now, before I get on to the interview, 
I have a small ask for you. This I'm going to do a double this week, so forgive me for this one. The first one's really about you, not me. I just want to ask everybody who's listening to make sure you register to vote, okay? No matter where you are in the world, and in some places you don't have to register, you just you vote. It's required by law. But for those of you who are in places where maybe you have to register and there's some paperwork, do it now before it's too late because, you know, we all need to vote. It's very important given the state of the world. Number two, go back and find that original episode from April 3rd, 2019, and give it a listen because you get a lot more of Andrew's thoughts on things like universal basic income and the things that he ran on for president. So it's worth a listen and it's a great way to know more about Andrew and have more context for the conversation that I have with him on this episode. All right, now onto the interview. So I looked back and I listened to that original interview that I did with Andrew before I came up with the questions for this current interview. And so as I did, I was I was kind of nice just to go back in time and remember a simpler time, to be honest with you, when I sat down with Andrew face to face in a studio. But I wanted to, as a result of listening to that first episode, ask him the very same question that I asked him to start out our last interview. So I started our conversation by asking Andrew, why are you running for this office? Patrick, I'm running because our city's in crisis and I think I can help. Uh, and if you look at the problems that we're facing, most of them are not really political in nature. Uh, and if you wanted to define the crisis in numbers, which for better or for worse, I have a tendency to do, uh, we're, we're missing 600,000 jobs, 27,000 lives, including friends, family members, neighbors, uh, 60 million tourists who used to support 300,000 of those jobs, 82% of uh, commercial real estate tenants in Midtown and other parts of Manhattan, 70% of subway ridership, thousands of small businesses have either closed or are on, on the verge of closing. Violent crime is up 94%. 300,000 New Yorkers have left the city, uh, including, I suspect, some of the folks that you know, um, and many of them will not come back. Um, so this is a city that is badly wounded, uh, and it needs someone who comes uh, from, frankly, like a more operational background uh, to try and get it heading in the right direction. Uh, these are not political problems, but I'm going to suggest that politics may impede the solutions. Uh, so I'm running for mayor because I think I can speed up our recovery, uh, and uh, i confident uh, that if you have the right leadership, you can activate a ton of resources. But right now, we just don't have that leadership in New York City. Now, a lot of people who know your, your presidential run know that you ran with a strong emphasis on, uh, on universal basic income. Um, what are the, the, the tools that you want to bring to bear to help rebuild New York in the next, you know, to say the, the first four years of a term? Now, a lot of people did meet me when I was running for president on universal basic income, an idea, frankly, that we are now implementing as a country. Uh, um, and 55% of Americans are now for cash relief uh, in perpetuity. 85% are for cash relief during the, uh, during the pandemic. Um, but New York City is a completely different operating environment. Um, you can't, frankly, implement something as broad uh, as universal basic income in this context. Um, so you have to translate it into various goals that are achievable uh, in New York City. And I want to say again that not much will be achievable if we don't restart the engine of New York City's economy. Um, I, I somewhat dislike being in political conversations when people are like, we need to do this, we need to do that. And a lot of me is like, look, we're not going to be able to do any of that if we don't get back a significant proportion of the vitality uh, and uh, energy to New York City. Um, but I do believe that we can 
alleviate extreme poverty in New York City in a number of ways that don't involve uh, necessarily universal basic income. I'll give you all two examples. Number one, 29% of New York City residents don't have high-speed internet right now. Can you imagine your kid trying to learn without internet? I mean, that, that obviously is not going to work. Um, data poverty is another form of poverty right now in 2021. We can get those New Yorkers high-speed internet pretty straightforwardly. 99% of New York buildings are actually wired for broadband. The problem is that the companies that provide internet services have done the math. They don't think they can make any money uh, trying to wire these last households. So we have to step up with some resources, ask the companies to do more, engage some philanthropists that I think will be actually very excited about this, uh, and then try and get more of those New Yorkers internet. 12% of New Yorkers don't have bank accounts. And so they are spending hundreds of dollars they don't have per year on check cashers, money lenders, pawn shop lenders, and the like. Um, if we can get them even basic low-cost financial services, we can help them on multiple levels. So Patrick, if you think about Andrew Yang as the anti-poverty presidential candidate, things look a certain way. Um, if you think about Andrew Yang as the anti-poverty mayoral candidate, plus the recovery comeback mayor who wants to, to try and speed up our recovery, there are different tools you can use uh, in this context. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. As we think about some of the inequality in our city, uh, we noticed this year, obviously, with COVID pandemic, healthcare inequity was really laid bare. And if you look at where the uh, uh, the pandemic affected certain communities in certain parts of our city, it was very clear that uh, healthcare access really uh, directly affected certain communities. How would you focus on making a healthcare system that is more effective and serves more New Yorkers? We have to face facts that our government failed on multiple fronts uh, in New York City. Um, and one thing that I'm personally still struggling with is our schools are still closed, um, even though the data suggested we could have opened them months ago for young children. And again, if you have 29% of New Yorkers who can't learn online anyway, uh, disproportionately black and brown households, like we should have been reopening schools for those kids uh, months ago. Um, so when you talk about the healthcare failures, it's not just healthcare, but the healthcare failures are staggering, where you had uh, death rates at, at uh, three or four times um, the level in certain, frankly, more affluent neighborhoods in various black neighborhoods uh, in New York City. Um, I talked to a bus driver in Staten Island who was taken off his shift for wearing a mask before the New York City government approved wearing a mask. They thought his wearing a mask on his route driving a bus would disturb passengers. 
Like, I mean, talk about bureaucracy at its worst. Um, so there are there were a lot of mistakes made, uh, and, and we can all see that. Um, so what you have to do is you have to accept, frankly, that there are so many inequities in New York that if you wanted to have a nearly equitable result, you would have to have a different type of process. So what do I mean? Right now we're distributing vaccines. If you had an even process, you can very easily predict that Black New Yorkers will get vaccines at lower levels because they have lower levels of time, access, resources, information, trust. So if you wanted an equitable vaccine distribution system, you would do something very dramatic, like bring the vaccine to predominantly Black neighborhoods and then lower the eligibility age to something like 40 or 45 instead of 60. And that would be entirely appropriate on a public health level because, again, they were dying at three or four times the rate because of so many pre-existing conditions in their community. Um, so uh, unfortunately, Patrick, you could almost pick a system in New York City and you could find a racially disparate impact. Uh, by the way, as we're talking, folks, if you have questions, please drop them in the chat. I will be monitoring that uh, as we go along. Now, Andrew, you mentioned something. I, I, I just want to apologize for seeming so like uh, kind of stolid and serious. Um, it's because this is being recorded as a podcast as well. And then I go into very serious podcast voice. I try and seem very vague <laughs> when it's a podcast. I feel like I have a real podcast reputation to uphold. Um, so all of a sudden, like uh, I speak a little bit more, um, you know, frankly, like uh, like a, a bit more of like a talking head than a human. And I apologize for that. Centurion voice. Listen, I mean, that's what drives podcast ratings. Um, yes. Andrew Yang equals podcast ratings. Um, now, Andrew, Andrew, um, you know, you mentioned earlier on people are leaving the city and I don't let me the day I haven't seen a ton of data, but about what people are going to do, they're going to come back. But you know, as you talk about paying for for the recovery, there's a narrative out there that somehow, um, you know, if you raise taxes, people are never going to come back. They're all going to live in Palm Beach and the city is going to have an eroding tax base. And I'd love to hear how you think about that and how you deal with that perception and, and how would you would deal with that as mayor? Well, Patrick, um, the case I make is, look, New York City has had higher taxes than Florida for a long time now. <laughs> now, now, right now, that delta is maybe something like 13 uh, percentage points if you have an LLC. That's very significant. Um, but the case you have to make for New York City is the same case that we've been winning on, which is that this is just a better place to build a world-class competitive organization because you have better talent, uh, more uh uh, more access to various other partners and institutions and customers, and that just the density is worth paying a premium for. Because if you work in a highly competitive industry like tech, your industry, Patrick, or finance, if you have like just a smidgen of a competitive advantage, then that can be worth uh, like an outsized financial return. And then if you get that outsized financial return, you're frankly less concerned about the fact that you might have had to pay a little bit more in rent uh, or a little bit more in taxes. So the, the core of the value proposition has to be that this is just a much stronger place to build uh, winning companies. And I will share a story that I was excited about. Um, there is a gentleman named Elliot Horowitz, who's the co-founder of MongoDB. He's now back at it again, starting uh, a new robotics company. And he said that when he tells people that he's recruiting, hey, we're in New York City, they are excited. That's even now, even after all, all of the, um, the COVID issues. So I think his experience would actually play out in many different industries, I think people will frankly get a little bit bored of Florida um, uh, and uh, start realizing, okay, look, people are partying in New York City again. Life is good. Broadway is open. Um, let me go back there. And then after they come back here, they'll see 
this is still where the energy is, the opportunities are, uh, and where they're more likely to be able to access the kind of folks that can help their organization become what they want it to. Yeah, everybody loves Florida in February. Let's see what people think in July. Uh, we, we have a question here from Scott Kalb. Um, he says, Andrew, you identify the problem citing data, but can you please be more specific about solutions? What will you do to specifically combat poverty, get restaurants open, get kids back in school, and mobilize businesses as part of that set of solutions? Scott, I love it. Um, I can tackle each of these in, in turn, um, but businesses as part of the solution has to be very high on the list. And I've had very exciting conversations with some folks who are business leaders um, who are actually telling me, look, Andrew, I should be investing millions of dollars in New York City right now, but I'm waiting to see who the next mayor is. <laughs> you know, like Literally, I've had that conversation half a dozen times. And so if I am fortunate enough to be the next mayor of the greatest city in the world, I'm going to go to, to CEOs and leaders and say, let's invest in New York City. Um, let's, for example, help um, fuel the widespread adoption of a vaccine passport so that people can convene safely in your office buildings uh, or in schools or in restaurants. Uh, we can take a page from Israel's book where Israel's way ahead of us on the vaccination curve and they've started distributing bracelets to people saying, hey, this is your bracelet saying you've been vaccinated. Um, and then if we try and make that happen in New York City, we can actually make it so that people feel that, that sense of confidence. And I'm sure businesses would be a big part of that kind of effort because they would again be driving adoption. So you can pretty much pick a problem, Scott, um, specifically to combat poverty. I'm going to be championing the most ambitious cash relief program um, in the country to alleviate extreme poverty in New York City. And one of the only saving graces of the way New York City works is that if you can keep people in more functional environments, you will actually save money on the back end. New York City right now is spending $6,000 per month uh, housing a family in our shelter system, as one example. If you spend a fraction of that keeping someone in their current apartment or in a more stable situation and keep them out of our shelter system, or worse yet, like our prisons, um, then it's actually a mammoth win. Um, so uh, so we, we can fight poverty again in both that way directly, but also uh, through getting people um, broadband and bank accounts and get plugged into our financial system. The restaurants being open, a lot of that's whether you can uh, bring back some of the 60 million tourists. Uh, but we have a massive chunk of money coming from um, Chuck Schumer and the Senate. Um, in the form of a Save Our Stages Act that's going to enable Broadway to reopen, it looks like, this fall. Um, and so we have to treat a lot of the restaurant and hospitality businesses similarly. If not putting money directly into the businesses' hands, we need to have uh, funds available for the commercial landlords that right now are sitting on, and off, in many cases, like, you know, months and months of back rent, uh, and they're trying to work it out with the restaurant for the restaurant to reopen. Albany right now is a $1.3 billion rent relief fund um, that has not been administered as yet. And the goal is to try and make it so that the landlords can access that money so the restaurants can reopen. So you can pretty much take a, um, a look at each problem, Scott, and like there's an approach uh, you can try and drive. There are so many problems going on that you have to try and drive multiple, <laughs> multiple solutions. Uh, like it or not, the government is going to be one of the central drivers of the recovery. The federal stimulus bill that just passed was $1.9 trillion. That's half the federal budget in a normal year. This is like a very, very significant level of money. New York City's budget is actually about to be made whole um, by this bill. Uh, we're getting $6.1 billion, and the deficit was a bit less than that. So we have a window of time. Let's call it 
two years, I think. Um, but we have to use that time as effectively as possible. We have a question here from Cole Burke that, that is, is a really interesting one. You did an amazing job at the presidential of speaking across traditional ideological divides. And um, so the, the question is, for people who want to promote democracy, which everybody in this room wants to do, how can you communicate with the people in ways, whether they're, you know, the Republican left, right, center, whatever it is, in ways that speaks to the issues but doesn't divide them? Uh, this is something that I'm very, very passionate about because I think polarization is uh, destroying us. Um, you know, um, and our, our system, unfortunately, is not designed to uh, address it meaningfully. But I found one measure, Cole, that I think is going to help us structurally, and that is ranked choice voting. If you can get ranked choice voting in more uh, states around the country, uh, then you can break up the polarization. You can introduce real choice and dynamism. No one can accuse you of being a spoiler. It's not like, hey, if I run, I'm going to make the bad guys win. New York City's mayoral race that I'm in right now is a ranked choice voting election. Uh, it's one reason why uh, I am excited about it. Um, but Cole, one thing that you may not know is that you can actually get ranked choice voting on the ballot through uh, through a ballot initiative or just a set of signatures in 25 out of 50 states. This is the lever to try and break up our polarization. I've actually, I'm working on a book on this topic uh, because I think that this is the path out. Um, so for those of you who are excited about trying to combat polarization um, uh, around the country, open primaries and ranked choice voting, uh, I think are the best lever. Tudo bem, meus queridos fomos sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. I have a question from Mintu Pham, who uh, notes that she was part of New American Voices and appreciates your support uh, during the presidential with their work. And she, she, her question is, some candidates have more experience than you in the day-to-day -day of running city government and politics. How do you address questions about whether or not you're ready for this role? Well, thanks, Mintu. Uh, it, it's a question that um, people are curious about. So what I try and do is I try and break down for them uh, my experience set. Uh, I went to law school at Columbia. I was editor of the Law Review. I passed the bar. Um, so I actually understand uh, law policy and to some extent bureaucracy better than um, the average person. Uh, I ran a growth company in New York City that became number one in its industry and was acquired by a public company. So I understand how businesses work uh, and uh, how to try and build a strong culture. Uh, I started and ran a national nonprofit that continues to uh, improve thousands of lives to this day, which gave me a sense of how to manage uh, thousands of stakeholders because we had many, many uh, people involved with that org. And then I started a national movement around trying to humanize the economy, which ended up activating millions of Americans. And it's frankly why I'm ahead in the polls right now, because New Yorkers sense that I'm on their side. New Yorkers think, think that I'm here to help. 
Um, so I, I think that experience is actually a pretty good uh, ex experience if you're trying to address, frankly, a very multifaceted crisis like the one we're in now. And for people who think that the solution to bureaucracies that have not been serving New York very well is to take someone who's been embedded in those bureaucracies, like, you know, I, I think that's actually the wrong approach. Um, but, you know, I'll leave it to, to people to decide what experience they're seeking in the next mayor. All right. We're, I know we're running up on our, our, our time limit here. So I have two more questions for you, Andrew. The first is one, uh, one is from Shruti Merotra. And uh, Shruti writes, uh, thanks for your proposals. Um, I see COVID as an opportunity for us to reimagine a lot of the relationship between states and citizens and our environments overall. What kind of reimagining for New York do you have in mind? For example, repurposing Midtown into mixed use spaces or attracting new growth industries to the city. How do you, thinking about like New York City 2025 or 2030 or 2035, like what's it going to look like if you have your chance to be the mayor? This is one of the great opportunities at this time is that we might be able to uh, make progress on issues that New York City has been grappling with for years and decades. And so the suggestion of, for example, repurposing unused hotels uh, and at the margin commercial office spaces that frankly are not going to recover for a number of months, uh, we should be pursuing that very quickly. It turns out that repurposing a hotel uh, saves you about half the money um, as if you were to try and construct uh, affordable or supportive housing from scratch. Um, and that there are ways that you can help nonprofit developers or for-profit developers make those projects happen at a fraction of the cost. So there are, are big moves that New York City can make. Uh, that's one of them. Um, another, I believe, is trying to use technology more aggressively and ambitiously, not just to fuel the COVID recovery, but to, to provide various government services. Um, that There is going to be a very difficult time where we have this window of opportunity, but we have to rationalize some of what's been happening in government. And I'm going to suggest that someone who, frankly, uh, may become mayor, not on the backs of any of the existing special interests, but on the backs of the fact that most New Yorkers think that I'm on their side, is someone who could help um, modernize and streamline some of the things that are happening in city government. Uh, so those are some of the things I'm excited about, um, uh, about trying to take advantage of in this time. Um, but we have to be clear, this is a monumental challenge. Our city is badly wounded. There is no guarantee it comes back in the form that we want it to. But I can guarantee with the wrong leadership, it will not come back. And there are folks in this race that frankly see these problems in ideological terms. And I just do not think that that will work right now. All right, final question comes from Manu Meal. Uh, Manu runs Bridge USA, which is one of our partner organizations. Uh, he's in his early 20s, turned down uh, working as a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley to start this organization about building dialogue against uh, across ideological boundaries and uh, just as a coincidence going to be on FOMO Sapiens next week. So he's an incredible guy, um, you know, a future Andrew Yang, as it were. And his question is, what gets you out of bed in the morning and keeps you going? Because this is exhausting and you've been at it now, you know, with the presidential and the mayoral for a long time. So tell us what drives the work that you do. Well, first, let me say how grateful I am to my wife, Evelyn, for being the rock and the rock star of the family. Uh, I could not even dream about doing what I do if not for her. Um, what gets me out of bed is that I literally have the chance to improve the way of life for 8.3 million New Yorkers. Like, who wouldn't be pumped about that? Like, I could help save lives and steer the greatest city in the world in a better direction. Uh, you know, if you don't get out of bed for that, then you need to check your pulse. Um, and if there's someone here that wants to help get the city back on its feet, please do. 
consider supporting the campaign, but also I may call you to put you to work after uh, I win this thing. Because the fact is we're going to need all hands on deck. We're going to need talented people from different industries. I'm not someone who thinks that, uh, you know, that uh, government experience is not going to be helpful. We're going to have some very experienced government hands and folks who've been deep in these agencies for a long time, including some folks from the Bloomberg administration, because I've got a lot of crossover DNA um, uh, with them in terms of my team. Uh, but if you have an interest in being part of the recovery of New York City, we're going to need you. Uh, and hopefully with people like you on board, we can get very, very talented, dedicated leaders working across the 67 plus city agencies to speed up this recovery. All right, Andrew Yang, uh, it's been an honor to have you here. So um, Andrew, best of luck, take care of yourself and thanks for all Thank you, you Jesse, thank you, Patrick. I love leadership now, what a mission, what an organization, let's make it happen. FOMO. Big news, we now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show and find out how to advertise. Also head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.